0: Iconic makeup artist, beauty industry revolutionary, entrepreneur. Bobbi Brown is all these things and so much more. Throughout her career, she has crossed paths with some of the most accomplished people at the top of their field. These conversations are a look into their inspiring lives because everyone has a story. This is Long Story
1: Short with Bobbi Brown. On this episode, my guests today are two very accomplished and highly respected women in media and journalism. Between them, they have reported for some of the most trusted news outlets in media, including Forbes, CBS, CNN, CNBC, and ABC, just to name a few. Their careers are impressive in a field that has been mostly dominated by men, and that is a testament to their drive and work ethic. The two of them are friends, and it was probably one of my Hardest interviews because these girls are pros. And these guys have been best friends since kindergarten. I met Poppy and Rebecca both as guests on their show. Poppy at CNN when she did a profile on me and Rebecca the same. We instantly became friends. We have our girls' lunches, which is really fun. They are so incredibly inquisitive. The questions that come out of them just for having conversations is amazing. They're nice midwestern girls which i am too so that's how we really share a common denominator and i'm really excited to call them my friends and they're just they're really cool interesting women here's my conversation with poppy harlow and rebecca jarvis
2: all i have to do is lower my chair so uh, i'm
1: not or I raise always, mine
2: i have a long torso so i'm uh, always uh, above everybody and i
1: hate oh, that why that's awesome really i notice that a lot of successful women on tv have really long torsos <laughs> No, but you have to, It's one of the, the,
0: the major important things for the job. success. Yeah. Oh. The, the length of your torso.
1: <laughs> no wonder I never made it as a journalist.
0: All right, I'm going to keep my okay. phone only for kids' emergencies. Yeah. Ringer is off.
1: This is a true story. Last night, I'm laying in bed, thinking about what I'm going to do the next day, and I'm like, oh, my God, my first, like, guests are these, like, world-famous, brilliant <laughs> journalists. So I took some CBD oil and went to bed. <sighs> So and I didn't want to stress. Well, it. I did. I did. The CBD oil is amazing. You so know? I hear. Yeah. So thank you guys for coming. Oh. You are my second interview and you are my first duo. Yay. So um, first of all, Poppy and Rebecca, say hi to everybody. Hi, this is great. Thanks for having us. And the reason I have you guys both on today is because every time, you know, I see you guys when it's not on the air, there's like a girl's lunch and it's, so much fun and so awesome, and you guys grew up together.
0: We did. So that was Becky, and this is me, Poppy, and Bobby, congrats. Thank you. Thrilled for you, and what a great, long story short, that is an awesome podcast name. Okay, so talk fast. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> uh, bravo. Just kidding, bravo. <laughs> just, just kidding, just kidding. We did. Uh, Rebecca, and I call her Rebecca, even though when we grew up, when we were in like preschool slash kindergarten together, it was Becky and Poppy, but I, I, I still call her Rebecca. But that was it. Like our our story ended at age 5 until we found each other at the Nasdaq in the middle of
2: Times Square. We're sitting back to back in these tiny little cubicles. The stock exchange
0: Nasdaq. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
2: And we're sitting back to back in these tiny cubicles. I was at CNBC, you were at Forbes. I was CNN?
0: Yeah, maybe I just got hired. I was like a cub reporter at CNN. I was like 12. So of course, we were both 12 at the time. And (laughs) this was like a decade ago. (laughs) Yeah,
2: it was. This was more than a decade ago now. So we're sitting in these little cubicles. I overhear somebody talking about Minnesota. And then and I was actually telling Annie on the way here, uh, my assistant, I was telling her that I overheard someone talk about Minnesota. And then she said, Poppy. So, in some way, you you said your name Poppy, and I was like, okay, I knew a Poppy when I was five. How common is the name Poppy? And I realized, oh my gosh, this girl across the hall from me is someone whose fifth birthday I went to, and we danced around the maypole. We did that maypole took
0: a lot of work. Thank you, mom, for making. Are
1: your parents friends?
2: They don't even know each other. Oh, yeah, no. But they're very happy that two Minnesota girls friends. found friendship yeah. in New York City, and
0: I'm very happy. On a like more serious note, my friendship with Rebecca has been like a guiding force in my life for the last decade, and she's helped me through so much. And her advice is so, so sage and strong. And we have a lot of fun, like at Drake last week at the concert. <laughs> <laughs> but. Really, I mean, I tell her everything and turn to her and to have her as a dear friend and have the same Minnesota roots that I have and also be in the same business as I am and be able to give me like real no BS advice on work and trust her with everything has been like invaluable.
1: Well, do you think that your friendship is actually something that other women in journalism have or is there like a little bit of competition? I hope so.
2: I mean, absolutely. I hope other women in our field have this. And I think, you know, no matter what field you're in, to be able to have, whether it's another woman or a woman and a man, to be able to bounce ideas off of each other and real talk about what's actually happening behind the scenes, I think is so important. And to Poppy's point, we have been so lucky to be able to exchange things like How much money are you making? I mean, that's not Mm -hmm. out there information. Right. We do. And when you go into negotiations and when you talk in our business, everyone has agents or lawyers, but just to have that kind of information is very powerful. And I think Mm -hmm. having a relationship like that, and ours goes so much deeper than how much money you make. And I'm so thankful for that. But having that kind of relationship, I think, is really key when you're in a high intensity field and
0: information is power that is such a good way to put it information is power and you
1: guys are really lucky
0: so lucky we are yeah
1: you're really lucky you're also both incredibly brilliant i mean when i when because i know you and i love you <laughs> depends on the day for no, me i no, but f- i know you and i love you for being nice midwestern cool interesting fun you know women but then I start reading your bios and I'm like, oh, my God, these are my friends. Like <laughs> you guys, um, it's... only
0: one of us like started a multi bazillion dollar company at the with table. our name on it.
1: But you are so well educated and, and you've interviewed like global leaders. Why did you want to get into journalism
0: in the first place? Poppy, start. I didn't get into the law school I wanted, but I'm ching. That's okay. a story. No, That's seriously. That's a great story. But this is like I tell yeah. it real to people who think that that the world's over when their like plan doesn't work. Right. I you know, did it all right by the books, right? I got straight A's in high school. I went to Columbia University. I got straight A's there. I graduated early from Columbia. I started working. I did all the right stuff on paper and I applied to like the top 5 law schools and I didn't get in. I think I got waitlisted somewhere. I didn't get in. Period. So, you know, I had wanted to be a litigator like my dad. And as you know, my dad died when I was young. So I really wanted to follow in his footsteps. So when I didn't get into these law schools, I felt like my world had ended, like I had failed. But through college for three years uh, while I was in school here in New York City, I had worked in news at CBS Market Watch, Business News, a job I fell into because of my then boyfriend in college at the time. And I loved it. So I was like, all right, no law school right now. I'm going to try this journalism thing. And I got an entry-level job working on the news desk at CBS News, and it changed my life. Isn't it so interesting?
1: It's amazing. And how about you, Rebecca? So
0: I grew up in a house
2: with a journalist. My mom's a journalist. She is a columnist now at Reuters when I was growing up in Minnesota. Thank you. Thank you. Um, So I saw her working, and I oftentimes as a kid was really mesmerized by what she did. I would assume in the same way your kids are mesmerized by what you know I, I have <laughs> boys <now. laughs> but I but I watched her the, the biggest thing for me was the curiosity like I loved the fact that her job was to have conversations with people to ask them any question and there would be times where I would listen to her interviews we oftentimes my sister and I would be you know toted off to work with her because that was the childcare situation and we would listen to her interviews and I would say mom are you allowed to ask some that question. And she'd say, Becky, it's my job to ask someone that question. Oh. And I love mm-hmm. this idea that you could pick up the phone and call anyone. And yes, not everyone's going to talk to you. But your job is to find the truth and to share that with people. And I went to school. I originally, I thought I was going to do journalism. I had done a lot of it in high school. Uh, and I got to school and I took on a huge amount of student loan debt. And I I studied economics and constitutional law, and as I was getting ready to graduate, I realized that if I started in journalism right away, there wasn't a chance that I was going to be able to make those student loan payments, Mm -hmm. and so... I set off on a slightly different path. I started pursuing finance. I went into investment banking initially, but I would sit at my desk and I by the way, I have such mixed feelings about it because I learned so much. I'm so glad I did it. It gave me so much street cred when I ultimately did make it into journalism and it it helped me, you know, when I interview a CEO now, there was a feeling especially early on of I can do this because I've seen the numbers yeah. and I've seen behind the curtain, but I got to this point where I was miserable in my job. And I just felt day after day like, you need to make a change. There's this thing inside of you that desperately wants to pursue journalism. Why aren't you doing that now? And I, I paid off a lot of my student loans. And at that point, I was like, it's go time. And I gave myself two years in my head to figure out journalism. And I quit my job. And without I told ha- them
1: without having a plan. I didn't have a plan, which by the way, well, everyone around
2: me hated. Right. Parents hated that. Yeah. Friends of the family, everyone said, you know, you don't leave a job without another job. And my argument was always, Well, I can't get another job because this one's a hundred hours a week yeah. <laughs> and there's no way I can even get to an interview. And so I quit and I started emailing all of the business editors asking them can we go out for coffee i have some story ideas i'm from the world of finance i'd love to write for you and my mom gave me great advice at the time because she said take everyone out for coffee tell them you have story ideas if they're still not interested offer to write something for free but mm-hmm. don't tell you don't tell them you'll do it for free until they're not interested and so i took a lot of a lot of editors out and cranes ultimately said you can start writing for us Wow!
1: in Chicago. That's so awesome. And then what happened after that? <laughs> can we talk about The Apprentice? I mean,
0: I mean, how can we not? Hello. <laughs> there
2: was this uh, so uh, completely out of Lark. I am 23 years old and I thought that I would do a behind the scenes look at what really goes on in that world. And for Cranes. For cranes. Yeah, I thought I was going to do this like undercover. Here's what it's really like. And I ultimately I went to the audition thinking it was going to be basically about the audition. Like, this is what happens. And they passed me off to the next round and the next round. And finally, they said, you're you you made it onto the show. And at the time, I was actually really nervous about doing it. I mean, I didn't love the idea that my life was going to be on parade. At this I did point. not
1: know you were on The Apprentice. Oh. Good. I, not, I mean, until I got my notes today, I did not know. <laughs> I, know. I will Next be I Poppy. Will, I will be Googling course. soon. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, who would have thought? No. Not only was she on it. Uh huh. She, she won. Almost won. Ooh. So who won? The it was year? a wild who won experience. The year?
2: Somebody else, <laughs> not me. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, it was. But but to, so back to Poppy's idea of you know, the best thing that happened to her ultimately that yeah. set her on this path was not getting into the law school of her dreams. For me, being coming in second place, like nothing better could have happened, could have happened.
1: Second place, honey, is not that bad.
2: Well, I, but OK, by the way, there's yes, a lot type of a. there are plenty of times <laughs> where I've come in last place okay. as well in life. And and those have. Yeah. Knock on wood. Thank goodness they, they that works out. But it was a it was a very good revealing experience to me that coming through that seeing that whole world and then coming through it on the other side I'm really thankful that everything panned out the way that it did.
0: Yeah. Then she landed at CNBC as an right. anchor. So
2: that was so right from out there. Of that, right. Yep. So I'm so glad this is the easiest now. interview
1: I've ever done.
0: Go ahead. <laughs> Poppy, I have I have Poppy
2: a looked sure. I
1: looked boss. at my Wikipedia page. No, I'm <laughs> oh. kidding.
2: Um, no, but. Poppy's boss now, Good Jeff man. Zucker.
0: Good man.
1: Who was, was my boss once too. Exactly. When I was at the we Today all Show. have a yep. Jeff Zucker Look connection. Yeah. Don't you love yeah. that?
2: Yeah. Jeff Zucker is part of the Bobby Brown story. A
1: big part, right? He, he is. And I actually saw him this weekend. It's perfect. Well, shout out to Jeff. Yeah. And Je- Jeff's grandma who introduced me to Jeff.
0: You met at a party, right? Uh, no, at a book signing. At a book signing. Mm-hmm. And she loves you.
1: She, yeah, she did. She loved me. Well, and he
0: hired you on the Today Show. He did. In, from he grandma. he was an EP executive producer in his 20s, which right. is just astounding. Yes,
1: and he did. He hired me, and I was on for 14 years. Wow. And then I he Never hired made a you, nickel, Becky. but
0: it was good.
2: <laughs> so, yeah, so CNBC, he came along, said, would you be interested? And I was obviously I was so interested. I mean, that was like the number one thing I wanted at that hmm. time in my life. That was the holy grail of business reporting. Yeah. And um they asked me to come on board. I did this I did this weird thing where it was like 6 months sink or swim and then at the end of the 6 months if it worked out, they would hire me for 3 years full fledged and With an agent or not? Did you have an agent at this point? So this is really funny. So CNBC, I kept having these conversations around and around and around. And I kept wondering why everything was going well, but they weren't offering me the job. And I was like, what is going on here? And I get a call from a wonderful person at CNBC, Tyler Matheson. He's he's still there. Oh, he's great. He lives in my town. And so Tyler calls me again, I'm 23 years old. I don't know anything about this industry. And he says, here's the thing. The reason they're not offering you anything is because you need an agent or a lawyer. And I said, well, where do I get one of those? (laughs) And he said, I I know a guy named Bob Barnett. So Bob Barnett is this big time lawyer, which I only learned through Google at the time, contacted Bob. Thank goodness Bob was willing to take me on as a client. He negotiated what I think was a great deal. So he did negotiated think it
1: was a good deal. I don't know that okay. deal. OK, <laughs> well, that
2: so. So it was I mean, at the time, it was a great deal. Yeah. I didn't have any real experience. I did. When I was a kid in Minnesota, they had this show called The Whatever Show on uh, the NBC affiliate. So that was my the extent of my TV experience <laughs> um, anyway. And so the the opportunity was the six month sink or swim and then a three year deal. And thank goodness Tyler was a great mentor along the way. I would go to him and constantly say, okay, am I doing the right thing? Am I going to get like the full fledged thing? And ultimately, it worked out. But it was also the financial crisis. So, in some ways, it worked out, but it also put us on a stage in a time where. I can think of no other time in my life Mm -hmm. as an adult Mm -hmm. where business and financial news and getting the story right
0: was that important. I mean, and so we were both in in business news at that time. And that was I didn't have a six month sink or swim. I didn't know you had (laughs) that. That is like terrifying. But good job swimming (laughs) through that. Um, I started at CNN more than a decade now, 12 years ago. And it was I had never been on television, period. I had done uh, digital, like web-based taped news segments for Forbes before. And then at New York One, my stuff was all on tape. It wasn't live. And so CNN hires me to be the correspondent for CNNMoney.com. And then the economy completely falls apart. The stock market tanks. I'm at the NASDAQ. And CNN calls Atlanta like the, the mothership. Like, can you be on air in 20 minutes you know the market's tanking and i was like i've never done that before live <laughs> never and Aww. i think they were like what why did they hire you but okay like just can you do it and so my executive producer at the time said just you know sink or swim actually he said yeah. like let's see how if you got it and i did it and they called back they were like that was okay can you do it next hour so that that was that, that was how it. i started and in how live long ago television. was that that was like 12 years ago and then
1: how long now you're on the the top anchor desk
0: Right? Um, <laughs> I am on an anchor desk. <laughs> I am on an well, anchor to me, desk. Well, to
1: me, you're top. <laughs> you're a very You have a show with desk, your name on I you appreciate that. Yes. I, am,
0: I am humbled and thrilled and proud of the work we do. I anchor 9 to 11 a.m. Monday through Friday on CNN with a great team. And... um
1: and last time we were supposed to have lunch, you canceled because you had to go to Afghanistan. Okay. <laughs> That's so, not I mean, true. Or wherever you had to go. go run around after my two-year-old. <laughs> no, you had to go somewhere. somewhere. Then, you yeah, know, somewhere. And I'm just like, okay. You
0: know <laughs> somewhere. But it has been in a sort of, a, I still pinch myself. Mm-hmm. The... Uh, the opportunity that CNN has given me, right, to be hired having never been on live television, to covering the financial crisis. Becky and I, you know, we were in the trenches through that for a good three years, through the worst of it. I remember my first interview with Warren Buffett, walking up to him at a conference in the middle of the thick of it, and he'd been talking to Treasury Secretary Geithner and, you know, doing the, these deals that, that that Warren Buffett did through through the financial crisis and, and just watching, I mean, watching the fall of Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns and interviewing The folks leading the banks, both of us sort of living through that and and living history and then coming out of it and then eventually getting my own show first on the weekend and then now uh, on the weekday mornings, it's been surreal and wonderful. And any time I want to complain about Mm -hmm. something, I try to remember, Uh, you know, remember yourself at 22, you were dying for this. Mm -hmm. So stop complaining. And what's the
1: scariest moment of your career? Like, you know, interviewing someone where you're like, oh, my God, this person is sitting down. The lights are going on. You're live. And I have to ask. Hmm. Or are you never um, nervous?
0: No, no, no. I get I get nervous. I get nervous. Um, Let's see that first Warren Buffett interview. I was nervous because my new boss at the time I had been there like three weeks. My new boss at the time said I was going to a conference where he was going to be, and he doesn't give a lot of interviews. And you know, he said, I want you to get Warren Buffett and I wanna hear from him about these things. And I was like, how on earth am I gonna do that? And that's when my mom's advice came back to me and it was, Poppy, uh, all they can do is say no. If you don't ask, it won't happen. You have to ask, always ask. And so I walk up to Warren Buffett in the hall of this conference and I asked. And, it had and nothing I had the to camera do with there and I had a great team and they were ready. What <laughs> and did you you're a
1: beautiful blonde. Well, and he said, <laughs> okay, that. <laughs> it but helps. He, he,
0: uh, yeah. And he gave us time and he made news. So that I was nervous about. But when I started the interview, I had the confidence. I think with, with Becky and I both, we really over prepare for things. So when you are armed with the facts and you know your stuff, mm-hmm. Um, unlike you can this, be confident. unlike unlike
1: this interview where I, <laughs> no. I keep looking over to try to read the questions, Please. but yeah.
0: But I so yeah. you know I knew the facts, so I think once I was in it, I felt confident. But I actually think the most pressure I felt for an interview is is one you might not expect, and that is when I got an interview with uh, Rick Snyder, the the um, the the governor of Michigan. Okay, this was in the middle of the Flint water crisis. And I uh, had been covering it and he was like not doing any interviews. And I had been asking and asking and asking to get this sit down to talk about like the accountability, where's the government on this, how could this happen? I mean, these are children in Flint, by the mm-hmm. way, who, you know, the lead poisoning that they got will stay with them their entire life. They will have uh, difficulty learning disabilities they will have a very difficult time some of them because of this because of you know failures uh, on the government and so i was so nervous sitting down with him this was a few years ago and i was doing the interview for anderson cooper's show and i just i felt like i didn't want to fail the people of flint Mm -hmm. because our job is to be a voice for the voiceless and they don't get to sit down with the governor so what were you nervous about i do that I wouldn't ask the right questions, that I wouldn't be tough enough, that I wouldn't per- persist and insist on answers. Uh, and I did. Do you ever feel bad did.
1: that you have to ask those tough questions Absolutely and put people on? Absolutely not. Okay. To Rebecca's That's, mother's
0: point, yeah. that is what I That's am paid what you do. for. And I remember doing that job, doing that interview. And to his credit, he sat for that interview and he answered my questions. And, um, and I remember just being nervous and wanting to do the job for the people of Flint, mm-hmm. right? And so that was like a big yeah. turning point for me, just personally. Right. And how about you, Rebecca? Well, it's
2: interesting what Poppy said because the first thing that came to mind for me was Newtown. Ah. And after that horrific shooting at uh, grade school, these little children. And I remember, so I was at CBS at the time, and it happened on a Friday, mm-hmm. and the information was still trickling out. I was, I was doing the special report in New York when this information was coming up, and they called me and said, we're, we're sending you to Newtown. You're going to do the Saturday morning show live from Newtown. And the biggest thing that went through my mind was honoring the reality of that situation. And I think the one of the hardest things in this job is you wanna be true to those stories. You never, the last thing I ever wanna do is to harm someone who's grieving mm-hmm. or to make life more difficult mm. for somebody who has already faced the worst thing, the unimaginable. And so talking to the families of victims and that community and knowing that we had this job that we needed to do, we needed to tell their story, and we needed to get the information out, but that the moment that we left that community, they would still be in so much pain, and that pain would never really leave them. Mm -hmm. And I think it's that type of story for me where I feel the greatest responsibility to respect the situation and to tell people, to help people tell their stories in the way that they want them to be told. Because one of the, I, I, I look at the jobs in our industry and I think one of the most difficult jobs would be to be a booker because the bookers in that type of situation go in and they're Knocking on doors in that community and asking people if they want to talk. And one of the things I've come to see over time is that some people really do want to talk, mm-hmm. that it's actually, it, it honors it, the memory in some cases, but not for everybody, but it's so raw. And you never want to take advantage of that. Like, I never want to be the person right. who took advantage of that moment. And, and so I think for me, that was probably the highest stakes and I remember so I was anchoring with Anthony Mason the show that morning and as soon as I was saying goodbye on the show I broke down in tears I've never cried before on television and as I was saying goodbye I broke down and I think it was that realization of I will be going home soon Mm -hmm. these people are home and this is their reality forever
0: and their kids aren't coming home
1: So did either of you guys in all the years notice that it was so much tougher being a woman? Is there this like giant glass ceiling? Is it a man's world?
2: I will say this, something that has really surprised me in this industry, especially coming from finance where I was, I mean, in the math classes in college, in the econ classes, I was one of the only women. And then I was one of the only women in finance. And contrast that to this business, unfortunately, I've had some worse experiences as a female in this business than I ever had on a trading floor or in an investment banking situation where I was truly the only woman. And I think I am grateful this last year as I've read some of the Me Too stories. I am personally so thankful that the incredible women at the New York Times and that Ronan Mm. Farrow have done the work that they've done. But I am also and it's less so in this moment, but I was also shocked in those moments, the reaction, because a a more cynical version of me prior to that news coming out would have thought that people would have looked the other way and said, wow, these are powerful people Mm -hmm. and powerful people don't get taken down by the truth. They just keep moving on. And so I am thankful that we are in a place where people are beginning to shout it from the rooftops and that there's actual outcomes that are better for everyone, not just women, but everyone in the workplace that's a result of that reporting. Mm -hmm.
0: Very cool. Poppy? So have I felt the proverbial glass ceiling? Probably, probably. I, as I interview a lot of women for the podcast for the show, you know, we talk a lot, especially in this moment of the Me Too movement. Have they been, you know, sexually harassed, et cetera? and Most have. I haven't. So, and the fact that I feel like an anomaly saying that is sad. Mm. But when you talk about the glass ceiling, it also has to do. It also has to do with um, compensation. What Becky brought up and we've talked about what we make so we know what each other makes which gives us power going into our negotiations I do not know what any of my male counterparts or colleagues make and so I think until this that conversation the pay conversation my, my friend and, and colleague Brooke Baldwin uh, You know, has been very transparent about that. She did a whole segment on her show about, you know, telling her good friend what she made and that knowledge is power, et cetera. So I think we are doing it as women because the glass ceiling is not just opportunity; it's pay, right? And we know on the on a nationwide federal level, women still make less than men. So I think that's a conversation that has to be broader between men and women in our roles and in all equal roles in all corporations, because only then will we really know. I don't know are we being compensated equally so to answer your question i don't know but i'd like to have more uh knowledge i think for all women on that front
1: and what you guys both have interviewed like you know global leaders and you know just the most incredible people do you ever have an inkling to do something like fluffy like do you ever (laughs) like like, i I mean have you ever even thought about doing something completely different I love it. I love the fun interviews. I love we've done interviews, you know, behind
0: the scenes at concerts. If Drake wants to do an interview with us, we'll uh, tag team that. What is his? um? It's He's a great like Instagram name. What is it? Poppy. Champagne. Something. Oh, Champagne Poppy. Uh, <laughs> aw, I love that.
1: Let's do that. And he's half Jewish, joint- just saying. Oh, is really? He know that? Yes. He uh, did joint he have a bar mitzvah? with Drake I think so. Really? Let's get Drake. They're shaking yeah. their heads. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Could someone have just Instagram Have you seen the bar mitzvah Drake pictures? <laughs> Who performed at Drake's um, bar mitzvah? Ac- actually, Drake performed at one of the Zucker's bar mitzvahs. And he was, he was a brand new guy, brand new, m- brand new singer. And Karen kept saying, just wait, just wait. And I'm like, I'm amazing. tired. I want to go home. Just wait. I didn't stay for Drake, by the way. You didn't? I was tired. Bobby. Yeah. Did you have a bar mitzvah, Bobby? No, I had, a, I had a sweet 16. I had a choice. I got neither. <laughs> I want, yeah. I want, well, you one now. Have a, bat want a sweet 36. Did you have a bat mitzvah?
2: I had a bat mitzvah. Uh-huh. And um, the band Me Not You, uh-huh. which was a <laughs> group of my friends, performed uh-huh. and they played Radiohead
0: Creep, which was my favorite song at the time.
1: Uh huh. It was
0: awesome. Oh, there you go. Interesting. It was so fun. <laughs> yeah, well, well, you know, you you need so a fun So We're going to have Drake and Cardi B on together. Yeah. A joint podcast. Right, Becky? I love that. Can you book that, please? Sure. Uh-huh. we well, okay. getting both, right on it.
1: You both have your own <laughs> podcast. How different is the podcast from what your
0: day-to-day is? So different from my day-to-day, from both of our day-to-day, for sure. I mean, I love, so uh, I have a podcast called Boss Files with Poppy Harlow. And uh, I say I, it's really we, it's always the team. Like people can't see this team around us for your podcast, but they, and my producer, Haley Drasnan, who is remarkable. Um, And it came from an idea. I was on maternity leave with Sienna, our, our oldest child. And my friend came over, Leslie, to meet the baby. And she was like, I don't know why I can't watch your interviews for more than the two minutes they air on TV. Where can I see the whole thing? And I think she was talking about a Warren Buffett interview. She goes, why don't you have a podcast? And I was like, a, po- a pod, what? <laughs> I, huh? And by the way, she's like 15 years older than me and way more in tune and cool than I am. And so when I went back, it was like my maternity leave project because I have to stay, you know, as if baby isn't right. busy enough. But it kept my mind engaged. And I was like, OK, I'm going to figure out how to do this. And Becky already had a podcast. And so I came back to work and I was like, can I put these long interviews we do with all these CEOs? I have like all of them stored can we just put them on a podcast and to cnn's credit they were like yep we'll get you someone to help you do that and we did it and that we that was like 60 episodes ago um it's so different my day-to-day is like breaking news from 9 to 11 a.m which the news cycle has been uh not exactly slow
1: yeah lately. exactly
0: so uh like getting off the anchor desk at 11 and then sitting down for a podcast interview with an executive that we have booked or you know we've had like it mainly it's mainly it's CEOs but we've had like Robert De Niro on and Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg and some like really fascinating people that there aren't CEOs and sitting with them and having like 45 minute conversations with them tell about me about their life and their tell success me- and their failure is so different and so refreshing.
1: And what? And, and I know Ruth was recent. Tell me about Ruth. Yes,
0: so I, Columbia where, where I went to college had asked me amazingly, would you like to interview Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg? I'm like, ah, uh, yes, thank you. What's the date? Oh, February 11th. Oh, I'm having a baby on February 5th. I don't think I can do that. Uh, you know, wouldn't wanna leave the justice hanging if I was in labor. And so Columbia came back to me to their credit and they were like, really? You're saying no to a sitting Supreme Court justice? <laughs> I was like, uh, I just, you know, I, I don't know what to say. I want to do it. They said, What if we get a backup for you? Who's ready to do the interview if you can't do it? And I said, Sure. If someone's really willing to prep and be a backup, okay. And it worked out. Luca was born on February sixth, just in time for mommy to get out of the hospital. Super daddy to uh, handle both children, which is so hard in those early days alone I have a hard time with it alone especially in those early days so that I could go do this interview so that that's that's how that happened that's really and, uh, cool who was the backup I don't oh, know I never <laughs> asked let's break some news yeah, I don't I didn't ask but yeah. I thought like this is an interview I will tell my kids about mm-hmm. one day not only because she's a sitting supreme court justice because of what she fought for as a lawyer for the ACLU women's rights project For equality, I can't wait to see the the Lily Ledbetter case. It's great. CNN, can I plug? CNN Films, RBG, incredible documentary.
1: Has it? Has it It aired on Labor Day, and it's going to keep
0: airing and airing and airing. So the commercials are good enough. Watch it, and they're good.
1: Becky, how about your podcast? (laughs) So it's No
0: Limits
2: with Rebecca Jarvis, Um, and for me, first of all. I love this format. I love what we're doing here. You can have a real conversation. Mm -hmm. You can actually talk and let it breathe a little bit and dig in. And I think for me, a lot of it came from this idea that there are so many different paths to success. And I wanted to help demystify and break down how all these different, incredible, bold, influential women found their way. Women like you, Bobby, you were an awesome guest on the show. Kate Hudson, CEOs, Jessica Elba. There's There's such a number of different paths to get there. And Ursula Burns was on the show, the former uh, Xerox CEO, the first female Mm -hmm. S&P 500 black executive. Now on the Uber board. Yep, now on the Uber board. And one one of the conversations we had were the very basic building blocks that it actually takes to become the CEO of a public company. And I think what's so key is that she brought up the fact that You know, we often talk about the lack of women at the top of various industries. And she brought up the fact that there's all of these great jobs out there, HR, marketing, uh, sales. But those aren't necessarily the jobs where if you take them in the very executive levels that you're ever going to get to be the CEO. And I think that's really important information Mm -hmm. for us to hear about, because if your desire is to be there... Inside of one of these mega companies that already exists, you can obviously found your company and we have a lot of founders come on and talk about how they got there. But to me, one of the real keys was getting to some of those real practical things that all these different successful women have done. And then also the question that I ask everyone at the end of every interview is, what's the worst advice you ever received? And to me, that's a really key question because we're getting all of this advice on our careers and we often hear about the good advice, but sometimes those real defining moments. Okay, what was
0: your
1: worst advice?
0: <laughs> I love that she does this, by yeah. the way. She posts it on her Instagram and it's so great. Thank you. It, the worst advice.
2: I want to hear, so but. Pop, uh, I want to hear your <laughs> worst advice, oh, but- um. So for me, I think there, there's there's two different things, really. On the professional front, I think it was when early on I was told, don't be so interested in that business and technology and entrepreneurship stuff. Like, wow. be a broader personality. Broader personalities are the ones that really sell. And I I thought about that because I was young when I was hearing this. And I thought seriously about it because of the person who was sharing it with me. And who is that? (laughs) Let's just say it was somebody who had a lot of sway in my career, Mm -hmm. potentially. And not a family member, but someone who had a lot of sway. And I took it seriously because of their position, because I thought this person has to know more than I do. And I'm glad that I didn't take it so seriously that I put it into effect, because I think one of the things I often say is find a side door. Wherever you're going, whatever you care about the industry, find a side door in. When everyone else is running through that front entrance, it gets really crowded. So if you're not true to yourself, if you feel like an outsider, let that outsiderness be the thing that gets you that next opportunity. So I would say that's number one. Number two, on a personal level, I absolutely love my husband, and everybody in my family loves my husband. My parents love him. My sister loves him. He is hands down the we best. We loved him. My
0: husband yeah. loves him.
2: And ma- Matt. Right back Maddie at Matt. you, Sanisha. <laughs> Matt-, <laughs> Matt and Sanisha have a very big bromance. They it's do. awesome. Uh, but? <laughs> but early on, so I'm Jewish. He's Christian. And Early on, there were a lot of very, very well-intentioned people. Mm. And I've never said this before because I want to protect him and I want to protect the people in our lives. But there were very well-intentioned people who would say, that's never going to work. And to be honest, there was a part of me that was really afraid. Even though I loved my husband dearly at the time, I was so scared that maybe they're right. They have life experience. These are people who had been married for many years. Mm -hmm. We went to counseling before we even got engaged. And I will say for anybody out there who is thinking about taking that next step, I would highly encourage it. Maybe it's not for everyone, but for us, it really helped us talk through a lot. And I'm so, so glad that I didn't take the advice mm. of very well-intentioned people because if I hadn't married Matt, I really believe it would have been the worst decision of my life because he is the best partner and he supports me in everything that I do. and as the years go on, it, it's more and more clear and obvious that, that it was the right thing. it was
1: a hundred percent the right choice. Yeah, I don't know who gave you that advice. That I that's the worst advice I've ever heard. It's terrible. Yeah. But it was,
2: the thing is, so this is the thing about bad advice. So much of the time, 80% of the time, it's coming from well-intentioned people mm-hmm. who are just afraid of you taking risks in life, whether they're professional or personal. Mm-hmm. They're
0: trying to protect you and put that safety net on you. And everyone has different opinions. Exactly. And how about you, Poppy? What was I the was worst advice? I was just trying to think about that. And just as I, because I don't have an answer.
1: Well, I do, but-
0: yeah. I mean cuz I thought I, about it. I, 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 I probably had ten... and I was going to brag on your yeah. husband well, too ten, Bobby for. 10 10
1: different things came up, but the one that came up is when someone said to me, "You want to start a cosmetics company? The world does not <laughs> need another cosmetics company." <laughs> I clearly didn't listen. Yeah.
2: And was I mean, that was that a well-intentioned person or was uh, it like a financer or something
1: No, like I think that? it was someone that was in the industry that it wasn't going well for them and right. you know, it was overwhelming and Well, wow, that's the right. other thing. Yeah. And then you build the Bobby
0: Empire.
2: I, yeah. Were I mean. you nervous when they said that, that they might be right? No,
0: no. Well, I, I, how did, you've always known, Bobby? you've been so, I mean, your confidence is just like fills a room. But it's not confidence. But it's it is. Being comfortable. You know yourself. Okay. Confidence, confidence is being, being comfortable in, in your own yourself. skin. But how did you know that when you were in college and you've said yourself, you weren't a great student and you weren't like the t- traditional sort of pathway to success at all? Didn't you make up your own major or something like I that? I did, but like, honestly,
1: my the biggest thing that I could say that I have that I don't even know how I got is I'm so incredibly naive. Oh. Like I no, I am. I'm really naive. I don't think something's not going to work out. And you know what? Now I'm at the point of my career. So what if it doesn't? Like I hope that this you know podcast is goes like you know gangfires. Who knows? <laughs> gangfires is a new word. Who knows? Word. <laughs> <laughs> but
2: to your point about not knowing and that naivete in the mm-hmm. beginning that is something I hear from almost every entrepreneur where you know you'll ask "What's what do you wish you knew when you began and most people say that a r- early ignorance is the thing that allowed them
1: mm-hmm. to tr-
0: try to
2: try that's yeah.
0: true
1: because I, we didn't have a choice like you guys have all this other stuff going for you seriously and we didn't so we had to kind of figure it out I've written nine books yeah. I, don't oh, <laughs> I don't know how to type I don't know how to type I love t- that <laughs> so, you dictate them I write by the hand car, right? or, yeah, I talk on the phone. They yeah. pr- Guess what? I print out my emails and I get a pen and I so fix do I. I'm a okay. paper person. Okay. So I just figure out ways to make things work.
0: I think I, okay, I, I'm having a hard time. I know I've gotten a lot of bad advice, I'm sure. I'm having a hard time thinking of what the worst advice is. I, I will tell you just one sort of thing that I'm working on that I think is brilliant advice from my husband. And that is, there's two things. One is he always tells me, poppy, pop the big bubbles. Hmm. I pop the small bubbles. Like my day is a calendar of things to do. And I check off the easiest ones first. That's because he's done. not
1: doing those things. It, yes, well, that's a woman thing does, versus a man uh, yeah, thing. He
0: does, but he does a ton. Like he has an equal lift at home and and all of that. My husband's the big bubble guy. I'm the little bubble guy. And I need to be the more the big bubbles. Like even if you don't accomplish the little tasks, what are the big things? Whether it's the family big things or the work big things. The other thing that has been a focus of my year and I hope the rest of my life is I think I'm very effective at my job and I can get things done and I can execute. What I don't think I've been cognizant enough, guys, of in my sort of, trajectory, uh, and this first part of my career is, um, how do I make people feel along the way? And so, you know, I I am going to paraphrase because I don't have it totally right, but Maya Angelou, who said, no one's ever going to remember what you did or what you wrote. They're going to remember how you made them feel.
1: But let me tell you, you have nothing to worry about. Well,
0: I'm working on it. Like, How do we make everyone we spend time with feel? Like, we know when I walk into Jeff's office, Jeff Zucker's office, or Amy and office, very high-ranking executive at CNN, do you know what they do? They put their pen down, they put their paper down, they turn away from their computer, and they look at me. And they talk to me, and they hear me out. Jeff? Yes, he does. <laughs> and when people walk into my office, I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I'm typing, and I'm sending an email, and I'm like texting my husband about our kid. And how does that make people feel? But but you have so, so many on things on your plate oh, right now. Okay, I think do. the head, and I you think will get the head of the company has and, more. But so. you, will,
1: you will get there. You guys working are working on places. It. Baby steps. But I have to ask both you guys a really important question. What are three principles you live your life by? Both of you, Rebecca?
2: <laughs> I have to go first? Yes.
1: Yep. She pointed to you, so. I did. Uh, yeah. uh, I, love, I love bossy women. Okay,
2: number one, never put short-term gain in front of your integrity integrity must drive everything if it doesn't you're lost number two i'm a straight shooter i just i would just so much rather be a straight shooter and even though in life you have to learn a little bit about those who are not so much like that and you have to adapt to their way i think it takes far less energy to be honest than to be deceptive. And let's see, what's number three? Take people at face value. Okay. I think in this moment in time especially, if you choose to do the other thing and you choose to read into absolutely everything that people do, you're going to be frustrated, and you're going to see the worst in people. And if you take what people do at face value, you'll be on a much better track. Awesome.
0: So I would echo that last one of Rebecca's with start from the best. And Sanisha, my husband, says this. And he thinks that I assume the best of people and then hope they don't prove me wrong. So, A, that. Assume that they're coming from the best possible place. And I have to remind myself of that sometimes. I don't always do that. So assume the best and then work your way from there. The second sort of principle is, as Warren Buffett has said, it is what you are doing right now something that you would be comfortable with on the front page of a newspaper? right? Hmm. Integrity. Is it, are, are you good with that? Are you good with the world knowing that? Is that really the right thing to do? So that would be the next thing. And then number three is what I'm sort of ties into the Maya Angelou thing and just what I'm trying to do right now and going forward is enjoying the ride, not just mm-hmm. accomplishing the tasks, enjoying the ride, like spending time with my husband and I watching that new Sasha Baron Cohen show, <laughs> dying, laughing. I didn't used to do that because I'd be like, I have to read tomorrow. The Supreme Court hearings are tomorrow and I have to know everything. And he's like, why do you have to know everything? You have guests who know everything too. let them talk. <laughs> um, and, you know, so enjoying the ride, doing that or, you know, going to Drake, enjoying the ride a little more. Well, I I hope that the three
1: of us all together have more fun. Yes. I do. Thank you guys so much. This was so much fun. Thank you so much. Congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Long story short. Long story short. Yep. Thank you, guys. Big kiss. Thanks. Those were my friends, Poppy Harlow and Rebecca Jarvis. You can watch Poppy weekdays at 9 a.m. behind the CNN anchor desk. You can follow Poppy on social media at Poppy Harlow CNN and listen to her podcast, Boss Files, with Poppy Harlow, conversations about business, leadership, and innovation. You can see Rebecca across of all ABC News as their chief biz, tech, and econ correspondent. Follow Rebecca on social media at Rebecca Jarvis and listen to her podcast, No Limits with Rebecca Jarvis, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's it for this episode of Long Story Short. Follow me online at justbobbybrown If there's someone you want on the show, let me know there. If you really like the podcast, rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you really like the show, send me a few bucks. I promise to send it to charity. And that's a wrap for Long Story Short. This is Long
0: Story Short with Bobby Brown, a Gallery Media Group production.